Blog Talk Radio. Back on momentarily. So again, my name is Stuart Crawford with Ulistic, and uh, you know, just 
talk a little bit about this program because we've been doing it for a number of years now, and it's taken a bunch of different forms over the years. Our um, our, our focus here is to bring uh, in good information, valuable business information to the the general public. I think Angle's back now. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, our whole focus here is to uh, bring good quality business information uh, to you. Um, just to see if we can get Angle back here in the call. So um, I'm back. There he is. You Perfect. Okay? I'm, yeah, I'm you're sorry. back, my friend. I'm, I'm, yeah, we, we lost you there for a second. You're back now. So, ha you know, I had a, had a great experience in uh, GE as a young kid, and that rolled out to several exciting assignments in human resources out in um, various locations in Connecticut and Ohio and Texas. Um, had the opportunity to have some incredible experiences very early on in my life, um, i.e. HR leader for about 600 folks at age 22, 23. Um, really was, was a, a lot of fun. I learned so much. Um, right about the seven-year mark with GE, I had the opportunity to go over to Pepsi, um, Pepsi-Cola which was another terrific experience, one that really, I think really sold me at Pepsi at that time, which is an excellent leadership mantra when you look at high potential talent. And what the person said to me was, Angel, you um, are a talented guy. Um, if you succeed in this job that you're way, it's way, you know, it is way above your head right now. I mean, they threw me into a Teamster marketplace when I really had no union experience whatsoever. Never had been my own person at a facility. And we had 800 people across multiple locations. What the leader said to me is, Angel, you're young enough that if you do work well, the sky's the limit. And if you don't, you're young enough to recover. And that, that mantra really sold me, uh, sold the risk-taking part of, of my, uh, my, uh, my genetic nature. And um, that started a journey that was really fantastic. You know, 17 years in an incredible organization, PepsiCo and, and Pep at PepsiCola and also at Frito-Lay, um, a series of successively challenging assignments in, in both headquarters and field organizations, um, both uh, general leadership as well as subject matter expertise and things like staffing and labor and such, and uh, ultimately culminating in a tremendous recent assignment um, where I was the HR leader for 43,000 people and had 171 HR leaders on my team, and we were focused on, you know, delivering um, uh, people solutions that enabled margin growth, cost, containment slash productivity, and talent invigoration. So really it's been an incredible journey, and I'm, I just, uh, I'm just thrilled with the, with the ride I've had. So let's, let's talk about that on all – you know, one of the things you mentioned there was risk, uh, and uh, you know, I, I I still think forty-three thousand people. Wow, I can I can't even you know, the small business owner, it's hard to meet even five and forty-three thousand people. That's almost like a football stadium full of people that you were yeah uh, that were reporting uh, either directly or indirectly to you. But let's talk about that risk taking for a bit, because I think especially in the last eighteen months, with, as we went through this economic um, uh, hurdle uh, in uh, in U.S. and Canada, is that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have. Uh, lost maybe a little bit of that risk-taking. There are still people out there, and I, I, mean, I always look back on what I learned about more millionaires are made during uh, recessions or <coughs> during good times. Do you, do you see uh, uh, maybe a little bit of a shortcoming in, uh, in, in good risk-taking uh, in the last 12 to 8, 20, or last 12 to 18 months? I, I certainly have, um, specifically when it comes down to, you know, putting folks in roles that uh, they might not be ready for. Um, in the last, I say, 12 months, I've heard a lot of, 
I'm not sure if I'm ready for that role or I'm not sure somebody's ready for that assignment. Let's make sure they're ready, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, frankly, I think this whole focus on readiness is in a lot of ways um, a bit of a security blanket and has has been used both in corporate America as well as outside. You know, am I ready to start this business? Am I ready to drive this new product line, et cetera, et cetera? Um, has been used to slow things down. Now, albeit, you know, given how what happened in the economy to kind of drive some of this stuff, yeah, you know, you probably wish some folks had had a little less risk-taking back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the pendulum has really swung to be very much, hey, let's be a little overly careful. Maybe it, maybe we can look at it as a, it, now is the time for some calculated risk. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not the time for um, blind risk and, frankly, blind trust. Um, you need to have yeah, real, pragmatic, calculated trust. Well, blind trust says, hey, I believe in this so much or I'm so excited about it that I'm just going to jump in with both feet. You know, a calculated trust is one that you do your homework, you, you look at the folks, um, you look at the fabric of the people that you're partnering with, with or that you're believing in, and then you make a decision. But you don't do it with your um, – it's, you know, it's, it's what your grandma and grandpa used to always say, hey, go forward with your eyes wide open, right? Um, now it's time more than ever to do that. But it doesn't mean that you don't do it, that you don't do it. But you have to ensure that you've got all the data in place um, to make the right decision. And I'm sure, uh, you know, during the those boom years of 2007, early 2008, there was a lot of that blind trust going on. And obviously we see that in the credit markets and, and uh, how many people actually qualified for uh, homes that maybe shouldn't have qualified. Sure, sure, and now we're now we're paying for it, you know. And uh, but um, would, you, know, would you say I, that's a breakdown in leadership, maybe? I, I think it is. Uh, see, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the in the human spirit, you know. And and us as as people, we're naturally very trusting beings, mm-hmm. despite what some folks might say. I think you you we want to believe in others, right? And you know, as a leader, I think sometimes. You have to um, – I've always said leaders need to believe in their people more than they believe in themselves, but also also make some of the decisions on things when other folks might not see the rationale for it. You know, And I think uh, from a leadership standpoint, what we're suffering from what senior leaderships and, and whatever, you know, whatever arena, um, particularly the arenas that, that drove some of these concerns, but no one was saying, look, I know – Everybody thinks that this is a, good, a great thing to do, but I'm going to stand up and stop it because because here's why. Here are the facts about it. Just because it feels great doesn't mean that it makes a lot of sense right now. Here's what the future might be. Here's the longer-term thinking might be. So I think we had a breakdown in longer-term leadership, frankly. Folks are so focused on, you know, how do I take care of this issue now and then move on and, and either benefit from it or drive, or drive uh, immediate gain. And not really focused on the long-term impact. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I look, kind of look at that way as, uh, oh, you know, I was thinking, you know, a, a good leader makes difficult decisions that might not be might not be the popular decision, but make they make the right decision for the organization or 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 community association, whatever they're leading, church groups, whatever. They make they make the the difficult the difficult decisions that are the right decisions, but not maybe not the most popular decisions. Yeah, they're, they're leaders. As a leader, I think many times you you stand alone. And there are many times in, in my career, especially late, lately, 
um, that I felt very lonely. I mean, the leadership in many ways is incredibly lonely um, because you're surrounded by people that believe in you um, and might not want necessarily to push back on you, right? So as a leader, I would, I would recommend that anyone um, that all, especially the higher up you get in an organization, you surround yourself with a team that has got great chemistry with each other but also a team that has great chemistry with you. Absolutely. And that, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, Anna, um, who did you look up to as a leader when you were, uh, you know, as a young young executive at PepsiCo or in your early days at GE Capital? Who would you look up to as a leader and say, you know, I just want to model my character traits like this this person here? Um, There there were several. I think – Ron Parker, who was a senior vice president of human resources for Frito-Lay, someone that I looked up to. Was, frankly, was, for all intents and purposes, he was up on Mount Olympus for me. <laughs> and he was because of his amazing ability to communicate at all levels. And, uh, you know, he could be with the gentleman or the, the lady who's on third shift operating a fryer and have an incredible discussion with that person as well as, you know, four hours later speak to the CEO of the company. And at, at its core, at his core, he was, he was who he was, a very humble, um, uh, humble, uh, strong, strategic, innovative leader that communicated at all levels. So he's someone I really, truly looked up to um, within, the, within my company, um, a gentleman named Michael Watson, who was my first boss who frankly is still one of my closest friends, you know, he taught me the power of, of being uh, someone that lays out very effective, translatable, and simple plans for a broader organization. Um, you know, you can sit down in a conference room and come up with a ton of great, uh, you know, tutti-frutti, um, you know, uh, sounds great in a conference room and also in a, in a lecture hall ideas but don't necessarily resonate or translate to the broader organization. So it's the whole, you know, keep it, keep it very, very um, pragmatic, very, very scalable in your communication. I, I learned that from him. Um, those are two leaders that really were over the top for me. Uh, Al Brew, who was the former CEO of Frito-Lay, was a really, really analytical leader, someone that really applied uh, the science of, of, of demographics and the science of the statistics to his, to his leadership decision-making. And that taught me that, hey, you can have your gut, but make sure your gut is fortified by data. Um, that was a huge learning for me. And uh, finally, Al Carey, who's the current CEO of Frito-Lay, is just a, an amazing leader. And what he taught me was, the, you know, the power of having a vision, a very simple vision that everyone in the organization can rally behind. So those are probably the big four for me, really, when I step back and think about things. Well, so what I pulled out of there was uh, the ability to see, you know, and and know the direction that you want to take the company or have an end goal in mind, and then have the ability to look at the data to justify, you know, what you believe is right, and then uh, being able to communicate that down across all levels of the organization. And it doesn't matter if you're a large uh, Fortune 500 company or the smallest of small businesses. I think those, you know, you kind of nailed the three things that I always looked for, uh, you know, and I strive for as a leader of an organization or a group, is a to plant, you know, plant the vision, 
Uh, under, yes. you know, understand the understand the numbers because uh, let's face it, oh, there's a number of um, business owners that are running blind. I have no idea what the numbers of their business look like. Yes, yes. And being able to communicate that down the down the channel, uh, that pretty much makes sense to me. Speaking of of the numbers, um, what I found in partnering with, I, I, and I don't call them small businesses. You know, I call them young businesses. Young in either years or young in size, right? Because yeah. every business started somewhere. So I call them young businesses. So in working with some of the young businesses, particularly on the West Coast, um, some of the young retailers, when I found that, um, you know, yes, they, 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 they are trying to get a good grasp on the numbers. Because you think about, uh, especially a retail, a retail business, there's so much ebb and flow, right? Money's coming in and out, in and out, changing hands, transactions. Inventory is is, is like your lifeblood. Um, what I found is that there's a general lack of, of knowledge of um, merchandising impact. You know, where do you place a product to really have the most impact on a consumer? How do you how do you bundle like products that that make sense to go together? You know, for example, in our industry, you know, pretzels in the inner city, you know, pretzels, do you put them across from from the refreshment cooler? Probably makes some sense. You know, do you what do you put in your ice chest? What kind of products do you put in your ice chest? Do you put things that are quick uh, quick refreshments? Do you put something that perhaps takes a lot a lot, little longer to drink? Do you put water? Do you put Gatorade, et cetera, et cetera? So just this whole science around um, adjacencies and linkage to other products and the demographics around your, your shopper and the experience you want to give them, the flow of your store, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've been in plenty of... Of, of small businesses, we can, can barely move around. There's plenty of great product, but there's no flow. And you, you can't see where the product necessarily is at. You have to ask where things are, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a general a need, frankly, in the marketplace right now for for some uh, knowledge of, of um, I, would, I would almost call it, um, you know, product insights or, or uh, merchandising insights. So, you know, that's a good point because I look at um – I kind of look at crowdsourcing the same way, uh, and and a leader's ability to, you know, being able to go out and find out what the you know what the pulse of the the, the market is. And now there's a great commercial. I'm not sure it's running in the states as well as here in Canada. Is that um, there's it's I can't you know I can't even remember who the company is that's uh, doing the um, is running the commercial, but they talk about what does it take for a business leader to know what the market wants, and, it, and the answer is you have to go out and ask for it. So I guess a a great leader. And I'll look for your opinion here as well on this. Is somebody has got to be able to understand that you know you not you have to go where the where the answers are. If you want to pl- chart a course, you know no better place to go than ask the people who are actually going to hand over their hard-earned dollars to you. Yes, absolutely. I've I've always felt that um, <clears throat> leaders ought to demonstrate uh, leadership confidence. Obviously, you know how do you inspire? Um, folks in your team, but more than that, how do you inspire uh, your consumer? How do you inspire your shareholder? How do you inspire someone that, frankly, is is a vendor of yours to really believe in your product? And I think that this leadership competence is really driven by the courage of your convictions. You know, how much do you believe in your product? You know, how hard will you stand when there's a storm? And because people look at that. You know, your consumers look at it, your vendors look at it, your shareholders look at it, and definitely your employees look at it. Um, the second level of confidence, I believe, a competence is technical competence. Do you know the ins and outs of your business? 
Do you know the P&L of your business? Do you know the cost of your goods sold? Do you understand what impact appreciation might have on your, on your, on your line, on your business line, and can you explain it to others? Mm-hmm. Can you explain it to others in a way that's easily understandable? Yeah. Do you know your marketplace? Do you have the demographics um, laid out, et cetera? Um, I think leaders have to have an eye for, for talent, you know, eye for talent in that making good selections on employees, making good selections on vendors, on vendors. So I've seen many of my colleagues in, this, in the younger business community, you know, you can make a poor vendor call and really hurt your business, really hurt your business. So having the eye for what makes sense, and that's frankly, folks, to understand the technical part of your business and also believe in your vision. That's two good places to start. Well, one of my mentors, Arnold, was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Arlen Farnson, who is, uh, you know, he he's in Iowa. He's a IT uh, business owner, owns an IT company similar to what I used to have. And he taught me that valuable lesson of, about the importance of vendors uh, to the, to your business. And I, I always treated my vendors just like my clients, sometimes even better than my clients, because sure. yeah, those are the guys that were giving me the permission to sell their products. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I was um, I was in the uh, – I had a great session this last week with a friend of mine who's in the energy space, and – his his business model is one that there's a huge um, focus on vendors and or uh, coal packers or coal manufacturers, and you know the challenge that he's up against right now is how do I how do I ensure that my vendors and my manufacturers share my same organizational values? It's fascinating, right? It's not necessarily something you would intuitively think of, but when you when you step back and say, geez, if I have vendors and manufacturers and folks that are part of my business foundation that share my same values, then the sky's the limit. Then, then you well, don't have to Arlen, worry about yeah, what Arlen the lack of connection. Bring, Arlen taught me bring them all in the same room and have them uh, yeah, spend a day with each other in the same room. Absolutely. absolutely. No, better way to get the, no better way to get them all on the same page, but you know, invite them in for a brainstorming session. We got we got about five, six or seven minutes left. Uh, I'd like to kind of change gears a little bit, and, and you know, what what advice would you give uh, to the? And you know, I love the young business versus small business. Thanks for uh, thanks yeah. for sharing. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that more more frequently. Yeah. What, yeah. What, yeah. What advice would you give to the new business owner or or that young business owner or even that veteran who may be struggling a little bit uh, on on their leadership skills? Young are you know smaller companies, larger companies, wherever whatever they fit in the demographic. What what three words of what three areas of advice would you give them today? Um, and I'll give it to them. Uh, frankly, as it, as it pertains to uh, the people on their team. Um, as well as as the folks they partner with, if you wouldn't mind, maybe the the vendors, since we've talked about that just a little bit. Um, I think it's important to have your own leadership model. Okay. Your own leadership model. And my leadership model has four key components. One is, as a leader, I will ensure that that I enable alignment. Alignment on the vision, alignment on the priorities, alignment on the collective call to action, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So alignment, in my opinion, is the toughest part of leadership. It's what you said earlier, what your mentor said. Get them all in the room, move forward, let's start rolling together and all be in this 
in this uh, in this journey, on this journey as one. So hone your skills as a leader and securing alignment. And it is very hard. It's a lot more easier said than done, obviously. But it takes a lot of personal uh, courage and, and 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 patience to get that done. Secondly, um, second part of my personal model is driving personal accountability. What that means is there'll be things that happen that you're not necessarily responsible for, but you're accountable for, and ensuring the people that are around you have that same mentality. Back when I was, um, when I had plants, you know, I, I haven't taught a safety class in, who knows, 100 years maybe? <laughs> like never, right? Yeah. However, I had to hold myself personally accountable for the safety of each and every employee in my facilities. The people that I would never, ever meet, frankly, it was impossible for me to be 43,000 people. But I had to be personally accountable to them and to their families. And I ensured that my team felt that same way. Well, that's kind Third of part of my... BP is kind of going through that right now, correct? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Regardless of where you are in the organization, you have to hold yourself accountable to it. Yeah. Whether or not you did it, and exactly, exactly what's happening today in, in the oil industry. Um, the third part of my model is being an enabler of sustainable solutions. And that's what I said earlier about my time with, with, with Michael early on in my career. It's, you know what, don't come up with these ideas that might sound good in a conference room that aren't tra- but aren't translatable in the back room of your store. Um, and then finally, be incessantly focused on leaving a legacy. Ensure that your team, frankly, your family, um, your uh, vendors, your partners are focused and aligned with your legacy. What are people going to say about our business, about our impact on society, about our impact on the community, about our impact in the economy? What will they say 10 years from now? Are they going to say that we had a shot at greatness? and took it and made it and were great or are they going to say these guys never fulfilled their potential mm-hmm. you know that is one thing that i think leaders don't talk about enough and talk and think about enough is what will be my legacy when i move on when this young business becomes a, a, a larger more established business when this young business becomes something that it lives in and of itself what will they say about the leadership what is, of today? What does the, the legacy plan look like? Pardon? What does what your legacy plan look like? That's, what, that's a question the leader should ask themselves every, every once in a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, frankly, that legacy plan um, is, is got a number of components. You know, it's, it's got, hey, what are my aspirations? What do we want to get to, right? Um, what are our capabilities as an organization to achieve that aspiration? And then, frankly, what's our level of choice and or sacrifice to do what we need to do to achieve that legacy? And that third point around, that third point around choice and sacrifice is where a lot of, a lot of uh, legacies don't fulfill the potential, right? You say, all right, well, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to cross that barrier. I'm not willing to take this risk. Um, and ultimately, the legacy doesn't achieve itself. But the 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 point you you just mentioned a couple of seconds ago is that the discussions need to happen. The point needs to get talked about, and um, it needs to get talked and planned into reality. I hope that's helpful. But uh, it sure is. And I, I mean, I read a great book on the, on legacy a long, long time ago. And I'm just trying. I'm actually just turned around on my desk here and see if we can see it on my book. <laughs> 
it doesn't po- jump out at me right right now, but it's, it was, it was a simple read, but it was all about you know leadership and and planning your legacy and and you know the, the current communications and all that stuff you mentioned uh, so far during our, our our thirty minutes here. Now we're just about out of time, so. You, you got a new blog out there, and the, you got you're offering uh, you know leadership tips and tricks for your blog. Um, maybe just share with the the group the that address and um, how they can actually reach out to you if they uh, want to learn you know keep in touch with you. Sure, it's angelrodriguez.us, or better said, angelrodriguez.us. And what it is is really um, you know a, a venue for me to to share my personal thoughts on. On leadership and on inclusion and on various uh, you know items that are going on right now and day and uh, provide my insights on my from my experiences within um, you know Frito Lay and PepsiCo and, and GE and my community leadership opportunities with the Shimba and Texas Lyceum and and uh, various other organizations. So it really is just a chance for me to share my personal thoughts and insights and hopefully uh, make a difference for folks. So that, that's uh, a n g e l r o d r i g u e z or e z dot u s, depending on where. Uh, yes. Got to make sure we pronounce that z or z when we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for taking uh, okay. 30 minutes out of your day to join us today. Uh, I'm gonna have you back down the road for sure because this is uh, okay. you know, very Great. inspiring. Uh, but thank you very much. Okay. Take care, everyone. Thank you. And thanks to our good friend Sean Dupron for invite, uh, in, uh, uh, introducing us. It was great. Anyway, that's our that's our program for today. Anil, thank you very much once again. Um, we're going to be back on next Thursday at same time uh, here on the Holistic Orange Files. Our, uh, we may even rename it to the Young Business Podcast versus Small Business Podcast. But we'll be back next week uh, with another great, exciting show. Uh, visit Holistic's website at ulistic.com for more information about what our company does. And we'll look forward to chatting with you all again next week. <laughs>